I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and if I had a superpower, it would be flight. I'm Sarah Sentry, and if I had a superpower, it would be the power of invisibility so that I didn't have to talk to people in customer service situations. We have a question from Quinn, who is one of our patrons on Patreon. Hi, Quinn. Hi, Quinn. So, Quinn says, I've only shipped twice in my life. Linda and Elphaba from Wicked, and now Kara and Lena Luther from Supergirl. <laughs> Do you have ships? Is there a history of shipping because of the lack of queerness, even from the comic sides of things? I'd love to hear your perspectives. I want to say yes in a way that is so emphatic that it seems like I yelled it, but I want to do it without yelling. So we're going to do mellow tones and go, oh, fuck yes. Yes, we do have ships. Thank you for asking. We ship so hard. We love to talk about it. All I do is ship. Every day. (laughs) Okay. I ship so bad. I didn't know that's what I did, but my partner obviously watches a lot of things with me and is like, you ship everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I do not enjoy most reality TV. My partner loves cooking shows, so I'm trying to be less of a dick and watch <laughs> cooking shows with my partner. So we were watching this show, and there are these, oh my God, this is a super adorable queer contestant and this super adorable queer judge, and they are totally flirting, and I just like don't even realize that I'm super loud, and I'm like, I hope they fuck. <laughs> and my partner is like, uh, 
this is a reality TV show about <laughs> cooking Vietnamese food. Like, I don't think they're gonna fuck. And if they do, I don't think they'll show it. And I was devastated. I was, de- I was like, you're right. And also, why do you watch this garbage? That's how hard I ship. Yeah. Your eyes changed when, when we even said the word ship. You were like, oh. My eyes go like, they do that where the whites can be seen all around. And I look a little bit like Joan Crawford. We were guesting on The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And then they, they're going to be on our show. They'll be on it before you hear this. And we were talking about something. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't know why they treat that character like I wouldn't fuck them. And they were like, you thirst so hard. And I love it. And I was like, Oh my god, I do. Like I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just like part of who like I'm like, oh yeah, get it. <laughs> I'm not the way RL. I'm not like, like slobbering on people I meet on the street. Yeah. Usually. I, yeah, I was gonna say I've barely seen you do that. <laughs> barely. Usually with my own human that I love. Yeah, I literally ship everyone. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of ships, and it is because I'm gay, and I grew up <laughs> reading comics, and everybody acts gay but is straight in For comics. Sure. So I think that that's just kind of part of it. Obviously, there's so much backstory behind Kitty Pride and Rachel Summers. The creator even intended them to be queer, and so it reads like that, so but queer. also it oh never happens. So the whole time, what do you do? You go to fan fiction sites and you try to figure out who else feels that way. And there's a ton of people who almost have genuinely written about pretty much any ship that there is. Yeah. I mean, shipping goes back as long as humans have been (laughs) writing stories. People have been shipping. People were shipping Shakespeare plays and stuff. Exactly. And it's interesting because it's one of the boundaries where, like, the art becomes permeable. Mm -hmm. Where, like, it's no longer the creators. It's everybody's. Right. And so, like, now we're all contributing to this conversation. And... Shipping has a history of influencing how adaptations happen. So one of the recent ones is that they did the TV adaptation of Good Omens. And the one who plays the cute angel mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, I assumed that Crawley and Aziraphale were in love. And also I read a bunch of fanfic and I found it very convincing. And that's kind of how I played the character. And it was like, I love this so much. This is one of my favorite things where fanfic becomes such an influential part of how we perceive characters. We're definitely seeing a lot of that thinly veiled kind of stuff that makes it now to print. So you have... Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever is based on yes, Twilight. Yes, That becomes one of the biggest, I mean, we're not saying it's good, but <laughs> but it's a movie and it's famous. So. Yes, and people have seen it. I was thinking about how Star Trek TOS is kind of what popularized in sort of modern fandom slashing. And yeah. it was a lot about Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And I know that Claire McBride, who was oh, on yeah. and did the astrology episode, is like a Spurk expert. Uh-huh. So like, hey, listeners, if you want to have Claire back, send us a question. <laughs> We'd be happy to have her back talk about Spurk. When I was Googling it, I found that the first privately circulated story, what could have been the first, because right, like people don't care about our history. Right. So we have to keep it ourselves. Right. So what possibly was the first, and if you know about an earlier one or a different one, tell us, is called The Ring of Soshem, and is written by Jennifer Guttridge around 1967. For Femme Slash, the first one, again a Star Trek TOS story, is an Uhura Chapel fic, which I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, what's and, up? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm into it. I'd love it. Thank you. By Danny Morin, and that's around 1977, and was published in the zine that was called Obscene. Mm-hmm. Obscene. And it's just, like, so fun looking back through, like, reading about those zines, and if you can get your hands on them some or if you can get to an archive. It's just really, really cool to see how— you know, queer people have been reclaiming stories for ourselves for forever. Yeah, my first exposure, I think, to fan fiction really was maybe kind of, you know, X-Men stories or something. But I remember really explicitly that there was so, so much Xena. I was going to say Xena was mine. <laughs> on the early internet. That was what the internet was for for a good five years. Definitely. I definitely didn't use it for anything else. <laughs> I was just <laughs> reading about Xena and Gabrielle. But also, you know what? I have some side chips for that one. So I think that Xena and Gabrielle, one of the most interesting things about them too is, is that they were, to me, one of the best written polyamorous couples. For sure. Because they're always dating other people. So whenever you watch it, it doesn't make it seem like they're not gay together, but it does make it seem like they are open. <laughs> For sure, for sure. I, I say this every time we talk about Xena, but if you've not watched Xena from the beginning, the opening episode, you're like, oh, so this is a meet cute. Yeah. Between Gabrielle and Xena. Like 100%. this is about Sarah says the oh, I love the way you do this. Gabrielle cried out for a a girlfriend. wife. A girlfriend. <laughs> she was Xena. <laughs> <laughs> a land so in turmoil. Yeah, I a Gabrielle in turmoil. The thing that I really love about Xena, and hopefully somebody will just ask us about this so I can talk about it for a long time, but just to be really succinct about it, I love that whenever we first meet Gabrielle, she is a person who can't be straight, essentially. Mm-hmm. She has this whole world around her that is encouraging her to be heteronormative. She's engaged to somebody. She doesn't want to do any of that. She doesn't want to have kids. It's just not part of her day-to-day. She wants to be a writer. Yeah. She wants to leave. And Ugh, the first chills. I just got chills. The I relate first, to it so hard. Yeah. And the first gay person she sees is literally somebody who rides in on a horse looking like the most beautiful person you have ever even encountered and has all of this cool ability to do things and is a walking story, essentially. Yeah. And to me, that is one of the most profound meeting stories of all time. And just the fact that Gabrielle, her whole story is about her moving away from heteronormative yeah. life. And I think that there's something that's so great about that. So like obviously, in every sense, right? She becomes literally like a traveling bard yeah. alongside Xena. Mm-hmm. And rejects everything that her culture thinks she should do, that her parents want her to do, that she's been told her whole life. And it's such a powerful story. I I, think so. When people are like, oh, was it ever explicit in the show? I'm like, was it ever not explicit (laughs) in the show? I mean, I know they they don't ever say like, you're my wife and you're my wife and we are wives. But kind of. But they kind of do. And they get in hot tubs naked a lot. And they cuddle a lot and they kiss and I'm certain their lips touch maybe just the corners of each of their lips because it's like a cheek kiss. Right, but, but it, it cuts away. And so if we were watching a straight couple, <laughs> if it, no doubt that they were in bed and they're kissing each other and saying soothing things to each other, then obviously we would go. That's a relationship. Yes. <laughs> That's a relationship couple. <laughs> yes. You know what I was thinking about this with too is I feel this way with in the second Deadpool film, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people read it as like, oh, Deadpool's pansexuality is completely erased. And I'm like, no, I, I think that maybe you just weren't paying attention. Like, if you could stop thinking of Deadpool as a straight guy, you could see that actually in his creepy, weird Deadpool way, he's flirting with Colossus. He has strong feelings for Colossus. 
Vanessa says, don't fuck Colossus. Yeah. And he's like, what? But I'm like, he would not say what. He would be like, oh, you, you've been watching? Like, I didn't, I didn't know you knew that I knew. But with the, but. It's like such a love story. And I find that sometimes I'm just like, wait, you didn't see the love? You didn't? But I saw the, but you didn't see the? It's because they kind of make a joke out of it a little bit. And Absolutely. so that was why some people were upset about it. But to me, it's, I feel very strongly when I have crushes and I can see people joking about it. <laughs> yeah, like, and I it think that, I don't yeah. think that love has to be this incredibly serious thing. So I think that them kind of cutely flirting in this funny way suits Deadpool to a T. Colossus acts exactly like he would. <laughs> He's yeah. sensitive artist guy. Totally. I get why it's frustrating. Sure. I've written about why it's frustrating that we have to infer it. But I also think that if we take seriously in the comics when Deadpool flirts with Thor and gets overwhelmed, this is the same person. Yeah. He just, he shouldn't be your symbol of what it means to be pansexual. We should have other characters who are <laughs> pansexual so you can see that other people might be more functional adults. Yeah. But like, this is Deadpool. This is how he would do it, you know? That's how I always feel. But it's like how Zena and Gabriel, I'm like, what, what do you, of course they're. But then we also read tons of fan fiction. So shipping exactly. really does kind of help you. <laughs> Fill it out a little bit yeah. and kind of live in an expanded universe that, you know, the creators can't or won't go in. You know, that's such a great way of putting that, too, because I remember that I really was shipping Janeway and Chakotay from <laughs> Voyager. Mm -hmm. And someone pointed out to me that people ship Janeway and Seven of Nine. And I was like, holy also. ass. <laughs> like, that is such a good point. But I was letting heteronormativity sort of limit my framework there. Sure. For me, it changed the way I viewed the entire series. Suddenly right. it became just so much more transformative, this friendship that had a whatever romantic component they have off screen, you know? Mm -hmm. It's delightful. So I love that you pointed that out. It really can expand how you view a property and how you engage with it as, like, a person. So what's your favorite? My favorite ship? Mm -hmm. Fuck. I think it's probably, <laughs> this is, like, so random, Tamsin and Bo from Lost Girl. They are, like, just such a bisexual disaster couple. They're not good for each other. <laughs> they are messy. Friend of the pod, Trisha, does not agree with me about this, but <laughs> is also a big Lost Girl fan. There's this moment where Tamsin, who is a Valkyrie, in the sense that, like, she is, like, a Nordic super-powered fae, she is really into Bo. Bo is polyam because she has to be as a succubus because her girlfriend's a human. And so she's like, you know, getting into Tamsin. They like hook up once, they kiss in like a really cute moment. And then Tamsin just like shows up in Bo's house and is like, here's your present. And is wearing like a giant red bow and that's it. And like Bo slowly undoes the bow, Bobo. <laughs> and I will think about that moment every day of my life for the rest of my life because it's <laughs> literally the most adorable, uh, charged, uh, hot thing I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the moment that I was like, this is top ship. And then like I ship anyone though. Like yeah. I, ship, I ship them all. Yeah. When you were talking about Star Trek, I think I have pretty standard ships for Star Trek. I ship Kirk and Spock, definitely. And For then sure. I ship Deanna and Worf. I thought that they were a really nice couple. I wasn't Worf. I wasn't upset that she ends up with Riker or anything, but I really enjoyed her with Worf. I also love Poison Ivy and Harley the mm. most. That is probably my favorite ship because mm. I just love it too much. And Kitty Pride and Rachel, of course. 
my other ship that I really only recently discovered was Choni from Riverdale. <laughs> so I, I watched a bunch of Riverdale, and whenever I say watched, you should understand that it meant fast-forwarding all the parts that aren't Choni. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, watched it in quotations. But I watched, like, the Choni movie, essentially, and the Choni movie is good. It is so cute. Mm-hmm. I am fucking obsessed. The fact that, like, their relationship, one of the ways it, like, solidifies and kicks off is that Tony helps Cheryl escape from a conversion camp. Yes, and they kiss right in front of the students while they're playing a conversion movie. So that's their first kiss, which is highly dramatic and highly queer. And highly Riverdale. <laughs> and highly amazing. And so also just, like, the most romantic thing in the oh. world. Even though it's there's stretching probability all over the place. So that, all that's of Riverdale. This, that's Riverdale. <laughs> but what? Come on. Ugh. Also, I would like to note that Veronica Lodge helped. It wasn't just two people. It was three people. Veronica Lodge is a true ally because she showed up in her cat suit with the boob window, which is how you always rescue lesbians. Especially from a conversion camp. Absolutely. You have to wear your suit. And, it's helpful. <laughs> and she's just supportive. She just hangs back and is... Great. So also I want to say that I do sometimes ship Betty and Veronica, depending on what my mood is that day. Sure. But Choni is obviously the superior ship. Yeah. I tend to agree mm-hmm. with that. I also am shipping hard Aneka and Ayo from mm. World of Wakanda. Yes. Uh, which is canon, which is so nice. Uh, their love is so pure and taut, and they're, you know, conflicted about their service to their country and their king, but their love for each other. And it's like you're watching the old guard in Wakanda sort of lose hold, and, you know, a new push for democracy is happening. And, and then they end up like being like these Midnight angels of vengeance and oh, I can't even handle it. I have chills. I love them so much. Oh, Storm and Yukio. That was one that I forgot about for a second. That's a ship I have. I also ship Jean and Storm. That's the one that will like just never happen. Yukio and Storm, we have a chance. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Jean and Storm, it will never happen, but I need it to happen in fan fiction. And it does. Mm -hmm. And that's where I need it to exist. Exactly. I sometimes write tweets that are fan fiction about Jean and Aurora. Those are some of my favorite of your tweets. They do well. (laughs) (laughs) I also find myself shipping two mask or two male characters a lot. I think there's a long history of cross-gender identities and sexualities doing so. I mean, Kirk and Spock were really loved a lot by lesbians and women and women in general. Well, it's a very romantic and a very lesbian story because they definitely are the OTP of each other. But then, you know, sometimes Spock is off with McCoy. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. And McCoy just gets treated kind of badly in it, but he also is present to one of the greatest love stories of all time and he gets to be part of that. And that's That's what you get. And that's what Bones gets, which is not so bad. And Bones is a doctor, so he's very serious and has things to do as well. So Damn it, Jim. Yeah. I'm a doctor, not a lover. Damn it, Jim. Why are you so pretty? Spock loves you. Damn it, Jim. Kiss my lips. (laughs) I hate him so much, I just want to punch him in the mouth with my lips. (laughs) (laughs) I want to punch the mouth with my mouth. So we have a question from Jared. Who are five comic writers you'd recommend for comic readers? What are yours? There are five that I'm going to say, but there are probably four billion that I could name. That's not true because 
not half the planet is a comic book writer. Or, or are you? That we know of. That's kind of amazing if you are. <laughs> so uh, Vita Ayala, who wrote Xena, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Shuri, The Wilds, love their work. Love the new Xena comic, as you all know. We've gushed about that. Then mm-hmm. I'd say Gail Simone, who did Batgirl, Birds of Prey, Deadpool. Honestly, I think there's like a hundred titles. I think I Clean looked at. Room, that was really good. A lot of good comics from that one. Did the best Birds of Prey, though. The Birds of Prey was so good. Yeah. That's the definitive one for me. Yeah, and we had talked before about how funny her Deadpool is and how the humor hits just slightly differently. Dazzler in that comic is so good. She writes the best Dazzler, pretty much. I love Dazzler. Yeah. I feel like we don't get enough Dazzler. That's the reason I also like A-Force so much. Because Dazzler and A-Force is both this punky... Roller derby. I was like, what is that? Skating fight club? (laughs) (laughs) Roller derby. Yeah. Skating fight club. That's like pretty much what it is. And then she's, Dazzler's got the, uh, what's the disease the mutants get called? Legacy virus. Yes. She has a legacy virus, but then she's Dazzler Thor and then Dazzler Thor. It's great. It's great. Love Dazzler. Mm -hmm. That's a tangent, but I stand by what I said. Also G. Willow Wilson, I guess. (laughs) I don't think either of us picked G. Willow Wilson. But she's amazing, and I feel like uh, a damn you should fool. read about her, too. Yes, and you should check out right now, just out of New York Comic Con, there's some news about Kamala Khan. She's on the new video game for the Avengers and mm-hmm. has a really cool storyline, and G. Willow Wilson helped write a lot of the dialogue. She did, so she did Miss Marvel, and then she did a lot of Wonder Woman recently that was good also. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And now she's going to be writing The Dreaming, I think, which is going to be so good. Yes, yes. I think we just retweeted something from that. And then also Kelly Sue DeConnick, who you've probably heard us talk about a lot. She did Bitch Planet, Captain Marvel. She's currently doing Aquaman. It's a really cool run. I've seen a lot of the art from that that is really awesome. The other people I would say is Marguerite Bennett, who did Batwoman and also Bombshells, which if you haven't checked out Bombshells, it is a super cool reimagining of pretty much all the female characters from the DC universe. Only gay. Only super gay. And in the 40s. Uh, what? Batwoman carries an actual bat and looks smoking 24-7. She flirts with Selena Kyle. Ooh. And I'm like, well, then why don't you just touch each other on what? this page? It's happening in this comic right now. <laughs> this is my favorite thing I've ever read. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then Julia Kay, who writes Up and Out, which you can check out at upandout.tumblr.com. Julia is a trans comic writer who writes about her experience coming out and how she's dealt with all of the dissonance she feels or how sometimes people treat her. And it's, it's hysterical, heartbreaking, just really, really a beautiful reflection on our society. And a fun person to follow on Twitter. Yes, she's hysterical. Follow her. And then I'd say, and I'm totally going to mess up your name and I'm so sorry. It's Sfei R. Monster, S-F-E with an accent, R. Monster, who writes F's Skin, which is a webcomic about a really cool non-binary character who finds a selkie And then Monster is really good at twisting the Selkie narrative on its head. So usually what happens with Selkies, if you're not familiar with the lore, is that men steal their skins and then keep them prisoner. Selkies are mermaids, except with seals. And in this case, the main character, F, accidentally steals the pelt. So it's this more bumbling sort of like oopsie doopsie. Now they have to figure out within the mythology, how do they return the pelt back to the Selkie and set her free? Very cute. They've been on a hiatus for a little bit releasing it, but there are so many back panels. You don't need to be like up on it to really enjoy the experience. So those are the people I would recommend. Sarah, what about you? 
I think all of those are really good. I haven't read the last one. I haven't read that webcomic, but the rest of all of those writers are fantastic. But I have a few more to add, one of whom is Teeny Howard, who did Assassinistas and is currently writing for Marvel, doing Thanos, The Marauders, the new X-Men title with Kitty Pride looking like a pirate, which is going to be the best because I think we've all been waiting for Kitty Pride to find her pirate side. She's been a ninja. <laughs> she's been a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now she's going to be a pirate. So that's cool. She also has knuckle tats. What? <laughs> Every step closer to a queer Kitty Pride. <laughs> I'm going to say Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, both of whom are creators for Love and Rockets, as we consistently talk about how Love and Rockets is literally the greatest comic that's ever been created. They the greatest wrote of it. All time. They made it, so they're the best. You should definitely read them. And I really like Christopher Priest. The first thing that I read that was by Christopher Priest was the Black Panther run where he introduced Ross, who we saw in the movie, and then kind of brought back the Black Panther to being at the forefront of the Marvel Universe, which he hadn't been in a while. Can't imagine why in the 90s. There could be no reason for that. They weren't putting any focus on this character who now, of course, is getting huge, massive amounts of attention, which is good because the whole character is good. The whole concept is great. And the universe around Black Panther is so awesome. You know, like... Shuri, obviously, we all stand Shuri. But that was later, but yeah, that Shuri came in. But yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. whole universe is. Fantastic. I was just saying because I you were you were saying what a cool character Black Panther is. And right, it's like it's nice that Black Panther isn't just a cool black character in a very white Marvel world and not they off really, to the side anymore. Yeah, because yeah. they really never focused on him for a super long time. He did some guest stunts, and that was about it. You really didn't see very much of him. Whenever I was growing up, I remember buying Black Panther number one whenever I was a teenager and getting really excited about it, loving the way that the stories are broken down. Christopher Priest is a stylist, pretty much. He does these ways of breaking things up that are kind of like watching a television series or like a drama a little bit. So he has... I hadn't made that connection. That's such a good point. It's interesting. I think that he's a really good writer. So I would say a lot of his stuff is really good. The Deathstroke series that he just did... I hate Deathstroke. I think he's like one of the very worst characters I've ever heard of in my entire life. But (laughs) now I like him because Christopher Priest wrote him and it's really good. And Christopher Priest had a way of being very aware of why I would hate Deathstroke, I guess. Why readers would hate Deathstroke and capitalizing on it and making all of the other characters kind of hate Deathstroke too (laughs) for those same reasons. So it was good. And then... I would say Nalo Hopkinson just did House of Whispers. It's still ongoing. That comic is incredible and everybody should be reading it. Nalo Hopkinson also has written a few books, but that I believe is the only comic that I've seen her do. It's really, really good. Check it out. The best. And then finally, I would say Nancy Collins, who also is a novelist who got into writing comics with the Swamp Thing, did one of the later runs of the Swamp Thing that is very underrated and very good. Also did a Vamprilla story, and she is likewise the greatest. So definitely read her stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I think that there's some new folks coming out that I'm really excited about. Yeah. And, you know, I I think we're seeing even more the big two tapping popular voices in fiction. So I know N.K. Jemisin has Mm -hmm. a Green Lantern coming out, which I'm super stoked to see. That'll be so good. That's going to be so exciting. And then, you know— Coming out of New York, uh, New York Comic Con, we've got announcement upon announcement upon announcement of 
what else we've got in nerddom and mm-hmm. comics. So I think there's it's going to be an exciting year for comics, I think. Oh yeah, it, years have been just getting better and better lately, so this will be the best so far, I imagine. of the week this week is Vines and Roses, the Poison Ivy Fancy, Volume 1, Number 1. Chief Editor Autumn Ivy, Copy Editors Pathos Logical and Gwen, Cover Artist Alex Valkyriana, Front and Back Cover Design Rose Rosenrose. You can follow these folks at at Vines and Roses zine with an N instead of an and. So Vines, Mmm, roses zine. Thank you for that pronunciation key because I needed it. Yeah, we all need it. So I loved everything about this entire zine. Yeah. What is it? About 50 pages long, I think. Yeah, it's pretty sizable. Hefty little zine. Yeah, I have 60. It's 60 pages. Yeah, I've been in zine culture for a super long time and usually, you know, doing festivals and stuff like that. So it's a little different than online zines. I think that that's a slightly different world for the most part because a lot of like the, you know, there's more crossover as time goes on. But you have like the punks who like (laughs) hang out and do their paper zines and go to fests and stuff. And then, you know, a ton of fans do great online fanzines. Which a lot of that sprang up, I think, maybe in the early 2000s or something where I started seeing PDFs of zines. And this one is really pretty, shockingly pretty, actually. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, the cover is breathtaking. Yeah, it's full color. I don't believe that there's a print copy of it, so that makes it a little bit easier to do full color, which is nice. I think that the color really helps, obviously, when you're doing a poison ivy zine, because <laughs> everything Absolutely. has to be green and red. Yes. Um, <laughs> if not, then what are we even here for? <laughs> um, but I thought that the layout was beautiful. The vines that go around the pages were really beautiful, and the templates that they used were nice. The font that they used was really nice. Absolutely. Just, it sounds like I'm being kind of clinical and like just kind of talking about like the structural integrity of the zine, but I am a huge zine fan, so yeah. seeing one that's put together this well is really impressive to me because, I mean... I've been taping things together and using a terrible photocopier and like that kind of stuff for my entire life. I've known of the Poison Ivy League for a little while. And whenever they announced that they were doing this zine, I was really excited from the very beginning because obviously a Poison Ivy zine is everything I've ever wanted. But, you know, you never know how things are going to actually look. And so actually getting this, I think, was so wonderful to be like, oh, they really pulled it off in such a great way. This is amazing. Totally. And I thought that it's such a relatively concise way of explaining to people who maybe don't know a lot about how poison ivy's been treated or about what poison ivy means to people in this beautiful passionate independent possibly way wrought zine that is really beautiful and thoughtful and i loved all the different art in it there's so many different depictions of poison ivy where she looks completely different in each one and it's so cool to see people's different art styles but also you know what's important to them to interpret about her identity as well in those images and it just I think it's a must read. Absolutely. It's available for free. You can just go find the folks on Twitter 
at Vines and Roses zine. Remember, it's mm, not and, mm. And they are just really, really delightful. The whole thing is beautiful. You have to read it. I don't even know where to even focus. Like, it's just like, ah, I love it all. Well, I think that a good thing to focus on is the fact that almost every different part of Poison Ivy fandom is represented because you have cosplayers. They have a cosplay highlight. I believe they have two cosplayers in this, but I could be wrong. They have burlesque dancer, an interview with a burlesque dancer who does Poison Ivy stuff. And they have fan fiction. I believe that there is a poem. There is... A conversation that takes you through the history of Poison Ivy. There's an explanation of what the Poison Ivy League believes in and why Mm -hmm. they made the zine. And also why it's important that they released it on International Women in STEM Day. Mm -hmm. I think that it has an eye on the activism of Poison Ivy. And it has an eye on the fan fiction elements of Poison Ivy. Because she is definitely somebody who pops up a lot in fan fiction. So just having this kind of true love letter to this character is beautiful because, you know, we've all been, I mean, we've talked about Poison Ivy 1,000 times on 25 episodes of this (laughs) podcast. So (laughs) somehow we brought her up that many times and we'll keep bringing her up, but it's like almost always when we talk about her, we're talking about a character who is underserved, who is treated Mm -hmm. very badly, who is Mm -hmm. kind of created as this one-note villain, and then even her attempts to grow beyond that are very frustratingly put down and kind of neglected in favor of villainizing her for things that, for the most part, are good. You know, we we like the environment. We want somebody who's fighting for the environment against a bunch of superheroes who obviously support and protect, you know, millionaires and stuff. Some of them even are millionaires. So, I mean, I think that all of that is really important. And when we look at, like, you know, the socioeconomic background of a character like Poison Ivy, all of that is important. I enjoyed how that was pushed in this scene, but how also it was just a really beautiful ode to her character. Absolutely. And you know, there's even an article that is the top 10 easy to grow houseplants. Yeah. And, and the lip it's balm just, too, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's a lip balm recipe. There's just like, there's so much in here that is just the heart and soul of who we know Ivy to be. And yeah. it's just rendered so passionately and with so much reverence for like a character who is treated, like you were saying, very, very poorly by many, many writers, editors, and artists. And it's incredible to see people. I'm like, oh my God, give Ivy to these folks, please, please, DC. Like These people love her with such a deep passion. And I would say we would also identify as like part of the group of people who really love Ivy. As you said, we've mentioned her a thousand times in 25 episodes. And It's just so exciting to think like, oh my gosh, what could be done with Poison Ivy? And, you know, we can't control the wider powers that be, but we can do things like this zine. And it's really, really exceptional to see so many people making such lovely and impassioned art. And one of my favorites is actually a comic strip that is done with Legos. And it's super, super funny. And it's just like Poison Ivy blackmailing Catwoman into writing nice things about her to Batman. (laughs) And it's like just so cute and perfect and just exactly what it should be. The whole thing is just 
chef's kiss, you know, so good. Yeah, I think calling it exactly what it should be is probably the best way to sum it up. Because if you are a Poison Ivy fan, chances are you're really going to love this scene. And it's probably going to hit some notes for you that haven't been hit by like the actual publisher of the character. So it'll be nice, I think, for kind of just anybody who is a Poison Ivy fan just to be able to take the time to flip through like what people are saying about her and how she impacts people's lives. So I think that all of that is super important. We've talked about how important that is a few times now. And, you know, this zine is just kind of the manifestation of that. Totally. And I think we talked a little bit about the pretty thorough history of her existence in the comics. And I think that should also be considered just a resource to all people who are writing about Poison Ivy. Is like, this is such an incredibly succinct and yet thorough history of who she is, where she came from, how she's been misused, even things that have been canceled that people, you know, that were leaked and people got their eyes on and they, they were able to change it through activism. The whole thing, I mean, cover to cover is just chock full of fascinating and insightful information about her and about things she loves like plants and lip balm which I think is just like the cutest touch ever I'm like love it if you love poison ivy like it's an opportunity to deepen your love for her if you like poison ivy which I assume is the only other option there is this is your chance to like (laughs) fall in love with her you know like it's such an incredible and passionate piece yeah definitely pick it up because I mean it's free you can just read a pdf online so Podcasts are not cheap to put on. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Can you explain that? Yeah. So they are if you don't invest in certain things. And we made the decision that we wanted to invest in quality sound. That's why we always sound like we're right outside your door whispering to you as you try to fall asleep. So we got these badass sounds because we have a badass sound engineer. We got this Kate. She's amazing. We love her. And... We like to pay her because we believe that if you work, you should make money. And hey, if you believe that if you work, you should make money, hit us up on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Bitches on Comics. It's where you can pay us <laughs> a living yes, wage. Yes. But also, it's where you can get things, too. Yes, we have all kinds of amazing perks. Come check us out. Sarah, so I know you get sent a lot of indie comics, and I would love to hear about some of the ones that you have been learning about, or like, you know, comic-adjacent projects, too. Yeah, people send me some comics sometimes that I don't really have an avenue otherwise to talk about, so I'd like to just give those comics a bit of a rundown and a shout-out. Hell yeah. So... The first one is Shut Up Marvel, which is an essay by Colin Colin Space Space Twinks, Twinks, which is probably one of the best names. Yeah, It has an internet presence sometimes, is on Twitter and things. But the way that I was linked to their work was whenever they started doing essays essentially about the business of comics and how it's incredibly unfair and negligent to a lot of its marginalized creators and fans. So in Shut Up Marvel, he breaks down a lot of the business of why the diversity things that happened at Marvel over the last 10 years of them kind of failing and canceling books, not giving people a chance, kind of chasing some creators out a little bit. All of that gets covered and he's basically just over it. Oh, and it's so 
well-written. Mm-hmm. It's really conversational. And I think it gets into some things about comic books that I don't see anybody else writing about. Yeah, that's true. Because and it, cause it does kind of put like a, a target on your back. Like mm-hmm. when you write a zine called Shut Up Marvel, you're kind of saying, you know, I don't want to work for Marvel ever. Yeah. And as much as that can be true, we live in a world where Marvel and DC are really how you make your name as a comic writer. Right. And I don't know what creative work Colin does. Right. But I know that it's pretty badass to really go out of your way to break down how all these different pieces fit together because frankly it's like being gaslit people are told your comics are failing because women don't support comics your comics are failing because black people don't buy comics Mm -hmm. your comics we canceled your title because nobody wants to read about women in comics literally like execs have said these words to people absolutely and he's among a chorus of people saying well that's some bullshit right what's nice about the way Colin approaches it is he sits down and he breaks it down he Mm -hmm. says Okay. Here's the business behind that. (laughs) Here's why it's a farce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I won't get into all of it, but I think that he really lays this foundation for understanding that it is not comic readers' responsibility. Yeah. And how the failure of the direct marketing kind of situation that comics has set up is causing so many problems for accessibility. And all of those things. And he does a few other things. He does different articles. He does one that's called Comics and Cowardice that's essentially about creators not protecting marginalized voices that work alongside of them. And, you know, how so many white men get pushed to the top of this pyramid or whatever. And then a lot of the women who, you know, did great work end up being sort of forgotten until it's time for their obituary or something. So there's a lot of breakdown of those things. And there are also pay-what-you-can essays. And we'll go ahead and link to all of this stuff in the show notes. Yeah, but you should definitely check it out. Again, it's Shut Up Marvel by Colin Space Twinks. Yeah, if you like any kind of essayist criticism, that kind of stuff, I would consider this a must read. And and especially if maybe you're someone who's newer to comics and you know something that happened, like the Mockingjay cancellation was so high profile. Mm-hmm. So maybe you've heard of it, but you, you don't know what happened. Right. He really breaks those things down and really explains what's the context, why did it happen, what was the conversation around it, and what does it mean to us today. Mm-hmm. And it's just really fantastic. I was really impressed. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who are doing really good comics criticism. I would say that Colin Space Twinks, I haven't seen write anything over the last few months or anything. But I would also say if you're just into these kind of deep dive, long-term reads that are really breaking things down in a way that you don't see very often in a very academic sense in a way, I would say that Emma Hubois' work for Comicosity is really good as well. You should definitely read any of her stuff because she talks a lot about just everything, I guess, that you would be interested in, trans representation and what comics are great and what comics are even referencing whenever they're doing these kind of weird deep dive things. A lot of comics take from other forms of media and we don't know always what they are. And so you get to see a lot of deep dive on things like that. Super cool. Yeah. I love it. We are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. 
They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T C H E S O N C O M I C S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Music provided by Earth Control Pill, which you can find at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.